Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back again. I'm delighted to be with you today as we look at student housing, a recession-proof with tailwinds to boot investment opportunity. Zachary Feldman is the Vice President of Development at Aptitude Development, one of the nation's top student housing firms. He spearheads the company's new development efforts, focusing on sourcing, underwriting, pre-development entitlement, capital markets, and investor relations. Prior to joining Aptitude Development, Zach launched Enjoy 77 Holdings, a real estate investment company specializing in student housing and multifamily investments with over 22 assets in the portfolio and holdings in the tech sector and solar development fields as well. Outside of work, Zach is focused on the Wildcat Fund, a nonprofit organization he co-founded that provides mentorship and college financial aid to students of color from his high school alma mater. So, Zach, take us into the show and share a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. But I would say the memorable, but also, you know, very kind of formed who I am is I was a big athlete growing up and I tore my ACL three years in a row in high school. So I was all state in one sport and then, you know, I kind of couldn't play the spring sport or vice versa for many years as a, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old kid. That's all you really care about. You got to figure out how you persevere and continue to you know, get up and find new things you wanted to do. And again, it's, you know, a little silly looking back on it before a high school kid is a very big deal. But it definitely taught me perseverance at a young age and kind of have to keep going after chugging away the things that you want to accomplish. And that has definitely served me well um, in my professional career is whether it's a seller, you know, an opportunity, whatever it may be, you know, no, or it's not always the answer you want to hear. So sometimes you got to find a way to get around the wall. And I think a lot of that was just learned from, I would say, you know, consistent disappointment and frustration in overcoming those obstacles. Well, I work with high school students even to this day, and it's amazing how those major setbacks to them. I mean, it's their whole life. Of course, they've only lived, you know, 17, 18 years, and that is their whole life. And they have such a difficult time looking beyond those major setbacks because they've had had no life experiences to really help them to look beyond those kind of things. So, Zach, how did you find your way through those major setbacks, which for a high school student, that is a major setback. I just, I think the goal for me was to play sports and be competitive and get out there. And that was always just in the forefront. You know, you don't know anything else. You're a young kid and that is kind of your whole life. And, you know, I didn't really have any intention of playing in college. So I certainly think selfishly, I think I had the ability, but that was just a setback, you know, taught me a lot at a young age. And I think a lot of the lessons I learned still suit me well in what I do today. Yeah. Well, let's jump into real estate here and give us an idea as to how you got started. Yeah, it's a true question. So I would say, you know, I grew up in a quasi real estate family. My father owns a few buildings and we had a lot of family friends that owned buildings and things like that. So I always thought I wanted to be in real estate. So actually I had a summer job with the, on a maintenance team for a company out of Boston. And I, you know, was on the waxing machines and in the hallways and kind of learned the side of the business a little bit from that perspective. And then the following summer, and this was just, you know, in college, I, I was interested. So I wanted to dive in a little bit. I started renting apartments. I got my real estate license in Boston when I was 18. And then as kind of my academic career in college 
went on, I thought I wanted to be an energy trader. But, you know, one thing I remembered is a lot of the guys that, that owned real estate, you know, somehow they got to play golf on Wednesdays the majority of the time. And it was mm-hmm. really nice, right? And I think this all kind of came full circle is, you know, I had my junior internship in college, which in many ways sets you up for kind of a career after college. You know, I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the idea of having your money work for you and your capital versus labor and how that wants to play. So I really wanted to be an, an energy trader in the renewable energy space. And I ended up working in that field for a few years after college. But I always liked the idea of investing back into real estate. And it's a bit of a funny story of how we got here, but I graduated college. I was working, you know, in a, a nine to five job and I finally got my dream job on energy trading desk on a renewables section. And it was not at all what I wanted to do. You know, I spent like two, you know, two or three years slugging through the corporate ladder, trying to get onto this desk. And I finally did. And I was like, this, this is really miserable. I enjoy this at all. But, you know, a few years earlier, I had bought my first four family using an FHA loan kind of near where the office was. And I got the real estate bug. So, you know, I really called it my day job and my night job, which was the start of Enjoy 77 Holding. You know, in my nights and weekends, I was looking at real estate and trying to buy buildings with whatever money I had. And, you know, I would raise money from friends and family on kind of a institutional method where you'd have, you know, a waterfall structure and there'd be a promote and things of that nature. So I always tried to educate myself on how to structure things at a more sophisticated level, even though they were very small deals that I was doing early on. But yeah, I would say I was always on a path through real estate, but I kind of, I swerved out of the way for a little bit and came back the hard way, but it's been a great ride so far. And you know, thank God for uh, for helping me get here. Well, that's it's interesting, Zach, and a little bit surprising to me, this kind of taking us away from real estate, but I'm really curious, what in the world made you think you would enjoy energy trading? Yeah, I, I would say I had a really special internship for renewables oh, and okay. brokerage yeah. firm. And I loved the idea of, you know, the things that were happening in the renewable energy space. I mean, it's fascinating, right? And we don't have to go too deep into that, but it really is incredible, you know, what is going on there. So that fascinated me from, from having an internship on the broker side to wanting to be on the, the trading side of it. And when I got there, it just wasn't interesting. I think the big thing with whether it be, you know, the energy industry or renewables specifically is a lot of it's intangible when you actually have electricity going through the lines. And I love the idea of being you can go put in X dollars in the kitchen and increase your rent by X and then have a, you know an increased value of, of Y. And that kind of really made me think and understand that creating value and driving by something and having a vision of how you can transform a piece of property or a piece of dirt was really what got me so excited to begin with and still is something that you know makes my job fun every single day. Yeah. Well, let's jump into student housing, a segment of real estate that, as I told you before we started the show, we just have not had any expertise in conjunction with that. And this is our 228th show. So I'm happy to be your first. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to have you here. So just give us a general overall concept of student housing in terms of what it is and how it is different in terms of other segments of the real estate investing industry. Sure. So what I'm, I, th- I think would probably be more helpful too is to differentiate between what's called institutional quality student housing and let's call it, you know, for lack of a better term, mom and pop. So when I started buying real estate, I was buying student housing in many cases, but these were single family, more like your frat house stuff and your two and three family that really wasn't, you know, institutional in any respect. You know, there was a lot of pride of ownership. You know, a lot of my earlier buildings we had, you know, stainless steel appliances, rain showers, tried to make it the nicest two family or single family you could have off campus. And that was ultimately how I learned the business. I was able to parlay into my current role at Aptitude, which is really institutional. And I think that's what we should focus on. So when people say student housing, they think in many cases still of your animal house or 
your frat house or, you know, the college party where, you know, the floor falls in, right? And that model has really changed where you might've had, you know, maybe a large local landowner who owned 50 single family homes and rented them out to kids. And that was kind of the business model. And it's really evolved to the institutional scale where we build ground up student housing projects adjacent to college campuses that in every you know way, shape, and form are just like a class A multifamily building. The only difference in what makes student housing so recession resilient is you rent it by the bed. So it, you kind of have a little bit more strength in the rent roll in that case, but it's also guaranteed by the parents in most cases or some type of guarantor, which is what makes it so re- recession resilient. In addition, in typical downturns or, or economic issues such as 2008, most people went back to college. So you saw a spike in enrollment and you actually saw stronger demand than there was supply in the space. And the other part of that is you can raise rents quite significantly because you have so much turnover every year. It's pretty much an empty building come July 15th, then another group of kids are moving in later that week. So there's a lot of different aspects to it, but think of it as it's an institutional class, say asset class where you rent by the bed, they're fully furnished. And then the other big thing that's happening is you have bed to bath parity. So if you know, Zach, Alan, Jimmy, and Bob are best friends. After freshman year, we had to move off campus out of the dorms. You would most likely live in one of our buildings, which is branded the Marshall. And it's, we call it roll out of bed location. So if a kid goes out on a Thursday night, has a good time, they can roll out of bed on a Friday morning and still make their 8 a.m. And that's kind of the location we look for. So a 10 to 15 minute walk from campus. And then, you know, in this example of the four of us were moving into the building, everyone would have their own bedroom, bathroom, walking closet, and then we'd share a living room. And these buildings also keep in mind to have, you know, class A gyms. They have study rooms on every single floor. So you don't have to walk to the library at 1 a.m. after dark and worry about getting home safely. It really is meant to be a place where kids can go and learn and be educated, but also have a really good time with a super high quality of life and not have to worry about because it is fully furnished and they're fully staffed buildings as well. All you got to do is show up with your backpack, maybe a suitcase and some linens. And you're good to go. You know, depending on the market, utilities can be included. You know, and, and again, they're as good a locations as you can think. Some of them are, are le- legitimately on the edge of campus. Well, I have been in the mom and pop student housing. I've worked in higher education for the last 30 years. And I own properties adjacent to the campus. And to this day, the, the students have been some of the best tenants I have ever had. And of course, students are not a protected class. So I set the standards that I only accepted students who had completed 60 credit hours with a minimum of a 2.5 GPA. So I was getting really the cream of the crop. But these students, they always took care of the property. And, you know, of course, the downside to it is, of course, is the constant turnover. But you frame that as a positive because you can increase rents in conjunction with that. I was doing this through 2007, 2008. And unfortunately, there was a, there were a lot of layoffs, and so parents were affected by many of those layoffs. And we did have some issues with collecting rent through that period of time because the students' parents had lost their jobs. But you're absolutely well, right. Alan, what school is that at? At Western Carolina University. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. In every recession period that we have gone through, student enrollment increases because people are losing their jobs and out of work and they're retraining and recessions are a good time for university colleges and universities. So it does have that aspect of being recession resistant there. So Alan, I do want to add one more thing, which I think is important for the conversation is similar to let's call it multifamily or office, right? You want to be at a school that's growing. So 
But the main things that we look at are, you know, you look at the macros of the school and then kind of the site location. So most of our schools, and I would say most it's called institutional grade developments are going to be at schools of at least 10,000 or want to see positive enrollment growth with really strong supply-demand fundamentals. So, you know, is there a growth of students and a lack of on-demand and off-campus quality beds, but also, you know, your distance to campus and the amount of beds you can deliver. But same thing with an office building. You don't want to go to an area that has decreasing population, decreasing wage growth, you know, all the macros that make this a bad place to make an investment. Instead of underwriting a city or an MSA, you're underwriting a university. A lot of your 2,000 person, $65,000 a year school are, are not great student housing investments, and those are not places that we target. But your large state schools or your prestigious private institutions are incredible places to, to allocate capital to, and you continue to see really strong fundamentals there. And that's just you know, something to keep in mind is, you know, there's this talk about you know how does higher education evolve and where do things go from here? And I, I think that you're you know when you dig into the macros and understand the market intricately of why schools grow and what are they doing well, it creates a lot of confidence in, in the investment thesis. That makes you know that makes total and complete sense. And at the time that I was investing in these mom and pop opportunities, Western Carolina was definitely in a period of growth. I guess it still is to this day. But when I was doing this, it was in in rapid growth. And I had never really considered that, but I can see why that is a very important fundamental to look at there. And well, of course, being a mom and pop operator and having an ideal location, I always had, even though there's constant turnover, I had my units rented in February for August occupancy. And that was another reason that I was able to get quality tenants because the quality tenants are those tenants who are in February looking towards August. And so you just get the cream of the crop automatically. If you that, have that's also a good point to bring up, which I think differentiates student housing from what's called your multifamily or your apartment building, your traditional one, is pre-leasing, right? We know that our whole building is going to turn over when the semester is over. We, or at least, you know, I think we have like a 40% to 50% renewal rate or, or maybe depending on the market, but I think industry standards probably 30 to 40. And I think multifamily is like well over 50%. So you are behind the eight ball there. The difference is multifamily, they'll start leasing maybe 30 to 60 days before lease expiration. We know we have to fill the whole building, right? So when kids come back in August, we start leasing for the whole next calendar year, a year early. And that's something else we do when we build a new project, which again is, I think, unique to student housing, but extremely important to what we do is if we know we're going to build, deliver, let's call it in the summer of 22, right? So a good example is we just delivered in Birmingham, Alabama. Kids are moving in in July and August for the fall semester of 22. We built out a full leasing office that has a two-scale model unit in a retail area that has high foot traffic near the university. And we built that out in the summer of 21. So we were leasing for the last, I don't know, let's call it nine months. And we were fully leased by this spring. And we knew we were going to open a building 100% occupied. And in multifamily, they'll kind of phase in the leasing or maybe the section A of the building is done, they'll lease that up and kind of go and go and go. Or they'll say, hey, you have you know, six months to lease up the building, you'll be fine. Day one, I have 100% occupancy and I have you know, really high collections. It's a unique advantage to student housing that most other asset types just don't think about or utilize, but it's extremely important to what we do. It's also a cool experience because most people don't have the vision, oh, it's under construction, what's it going to look like? But if I, you know, if the coolest bar in town, and then there's maybe like your local Starbucks and Chipotle, if in between there's a retail space with music and kind of, uh, you know, video renderings of the building and you have five to eight, you know, young people that are helping lease a building and they make it a fun, energetic area, it's exciting. You want to go live in the new building. You want to 
try something different than what you had in your dorms freshman year, maybe the off-campus house you're living in now or the other buildings that you might live in. And instead of having to take a chance, you can actually see what you're going to live in. It's a, again, the two-scale model unit has the same finishes, appliances, you know, everything in between that you're going to live in. And it really helps create kind of the story of what they're going to live in down the road. And again, it's just unique to the student housing industry with pre-leasing the building every single year, but also prior to getting your CO, it's, it's something that we stress on is during the lease up year or during construction can really make or break a project. To your point, I mean, if you can lease up by Christmas, it's a very easy spring for you. Absolutely. Zach, tell our audience how it is they can get in touch with you to take advantage of your wisdom and expertise in this field. Yeah. So Zach Feldman, you, and I, I always say this, it's 2022. If you're interested in getting in contact with me, just text me. Uh, 781-789-4354. 781-789-4354. You know, we have a wide group of people that we work with from helping us source deals to, you know, I'd say passive LPs. And that's something else that, again, I, I know we're kind of coming to the end here, but it's, I see more often than not, and I think it's a big mistake. And I kind of call it the bigger pockets effect. I think what those guys have done is great. But if you have 50, 100, $250,000 or whatever you want to go invest in your first real estate deal, you don't have to go buy a building and be a landlord, right? You don't have to bet the farm on your first investment property. A lot of people don't want to be in operators, but want exposure to real estate outside of a REIT. There's a lot of advantages to that. And what I always recommend to friends who, who call up and ask and say, how do I get into real estate? Should I buy this building? I'm looking at doing this. So go be an LP, right? And say, hey, I want to have a monthly call with you. Or I want to walk the building of the site every you know 90 days. I think most sponsors will be happy to take you around the job site because they're proud of what they're building. And if you're an LP, you have the right to do that as well. There's nothing wrong with kind of sitting in the passenger seat for your first couple of deals, but actually understanding how it operates at a, at, in a more sophisticated level. You get all the exposure you want without the, you know, the headaches and the calls in the middle of the night. And I think that's something that is really undervalued is being involved in real estate without having to be the sole sponsor or buying your own, you know, investment property on the first one. I highly recommend to everyone to at least explore the opportunity of being an LP, whether it's for us, we have a lot of LPs from across the country or for you know, there's plenty of great sponsors out there that I'm sure would be happy to discuss their business model with you and what your goals are. And it's, again, I just think it's a huge misconception that you have to go house act or buy your first two family and then get to a four or six and eight and then, you know, become the next, you know, Barry Stern League. I, I think there is a value in being in an LP with someone you trust and understanding the business from that side and having exposure. So if you have an interest, feel free to give me a call. I'm happy to discuss student housing in more detail or some of the projects we have coming up. Well, and Zach, I mean, just adding to that, I mean, limited partnership is a great way to begin, but there's a lot of people who never move out of limited partnerships because there's great investment opportunities within limited partnerships and you never have to be the landlord yourself. So good suggestion there, Zach. Let's go back here, Zach, just for a few minutes here. You did mention the design qualities of student housing, and they've certainly evolved tremendously over the last three years from dormitory-style housing units to apartment-style housing. Tell us a little bit more about that, and also speak to the future trends, because I, from what I've read and understand, they are actually changing as well, from the three units to students who really want more the studio type where they have their own private space. So tell us what's going on there. Yeah, it's something uh, we wrestle with every day because if we're to, you know, if we have a, a piece, let's say a piece of dirt under contract now, you know, it might take a year to get your approvals. It might take a year or two years to go deliver it. So you're designing for kids that are maybe four, 
plus years away from occupying it. And you have to really try and design a building that one makes sense for what people like in today or what you expect they're going to like in a few years, but also that can be flexible in the way you design the space. But, you know, I would say, again, every building that we build and I would say most institutional student housing ground up developments have are bed bath parity. So you want to make it easy for the kids to move in and have a good time and you know, really the live, work, play environment. But instead of work, you're going to school. We have a really high focus on health and wellness. So we have, you know, I would say nicer gyms and you know, most private gyms. They have, you know, and a, a big thing we do, which is pretty cool, is we have an indoor-outdoor gym in a lot of our facilities where you'll have like a garage door. And if it's a nice day, you can go do, you know, your core workout inside or do some, you know, your hit training on the a turf field that will build out on, you know, in the indoor outdoor gym. And then again, we have, you know, large study spaces, but private study spaces on every single floor in a few different locations. So that if you ever do want to go, you know, put in three hours before a test or late at night, you're not struggling to find a space in the library. You can do it in the comfort of your own home without having to be in your room. You know, we staff a building somewhat traditionally to a multifamily building, but we add a lot of what we call a community managers and leasing assistants because there is such a, you know, a focus on pre-leasing the building for the following year. And, you know, I would say beyond that, it depends on the market that will put certain features in. So from a design standpoint, we did something in South Carolina near Myrtle Beach at Coastal Carolina University. And part of, you know, the large staircase looks like a pier and the building is called the pier because you, know, you can kind of have it in the Myrtle Beach area and it's an, an homage to that. But going to your question about Unimix, the reason student housing is so profitable is it's the highest effective rent per foot you're going to get out of, I would say, most asset classes next to most universities. So if you're in a rural university or even let's call it a not major city, so you're going to get the highest effective rent per foot due to the density of the building and the, let's call it unit sizing. I mean, our four bedrooms are anywhere from 1,200 to 1,600 square foot, depending on where you are, right? Or bedroom 1,200 square foot, you're still getting, let's call it in some markets on the higher end, 850 to 1,200 a bed. So you're actually getting a very high effective rent per foot, a lot more than you would get in multifamily or industrial or office. You know, again, if we're in a New York City or in Atlanta or Boston, it's a little bit different. You're probably not the best suited for a ground up development next to Harvard, I think. There's, you know, condo buildings and apartment buildings that, that just have higher, higher pro forma, but you know, and you're, you're, let's call it your major schools throughout the country, you really are the most competitive, let's call it development option for a, a land seller. But part of that is also the unit mix. So you have to be smart about not wanting to load up your four bedrooms just to bump the rent roll because you might struggle with finding, a, a, you know, a thousand beds of four beds. So you do have a mix of studios, ones, twos, threes, fours, and fives. Um, and that again will be dependent on the market. If it's a more urban school, you'll probably have more studios, ones, and twos. If it's a more rural school, people want to be with friends and they have more of, let's call it a, a Greek life or an athletic focus on campus, you see a more co a communal focus where you, you might load up on fours and fives. Zachary, have many more questions, but we are out of time. Enlightened investors, what a wonderful conversation we've had here. We're going to have to have Zachary back so we can continue this conversation. Enlightened investors, thanks for being with us. I look forward to being with you our next episode. Zach, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.